Hello and welcome to the Driver Hire podcast. My name's Tony from Driver Hire Croydon and Sutton. Hello, I'm Gary from Driver Hire in Colchester. We represent two of Driver Hire Nationwide's network of over 100 offices and we decided to get together to create a series of regular podcasts for people who want to know more about Driver Hire but principally to provide hints, tips and tricks to help our drivers be the very best that they can be. Hi Gary, how are you doing? Very well Tony, hope things are well with you. Uh, yeah, all good, all good. Uh, long time since our last recording, how's, uh, how's things up in Colchester? Well, we've had a bit of bad weather and uh, we've had lots of snow, and which is unusual around this area, we don't have so much snow. Um, but I actually had the benefit of sitting in my car and listening to our podcast from winter driving. I needed to listen to it when I waited for my car to defrost. Um, and I and I need to remind myself what I need to do in this bad weather. I'm not used to it. So, so you sat there listening to yourself telling you what to do? Well, it was mainly you telling me what to do. And I, I did realise, I'm glad I don't live on a hill, and I could slide into my kitchen in the snow. Just to remind people, Tony. Uh, 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 yes, yeah. So, um, yes, for, for anybody that hasn't listened to the Winter Driving podcast um, and you want to hear a story of Tony driving his own Land Rover into the kitchen, uh, then uh, do um, do feel free to go and have a listen to that. Um, uh, yes. Uh, anyway, so um, so this episode, Gary, um, we uh, we're going to talk about Brexit, uh, but I'm not going to talk to you about Brexit. Uh, because, as usual, no flies on you. You will have noticed there's a third person on the call, and that third person is Tom Cornwell, who is one of the Road Haulage Association, or RHA's, area managers. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Morning, Tony. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're, you're very welcome indeed. Uh, so it's a slight sort of diversion from uh, our normal fare, I suppose, and Brexit is probably the one thing we would have been talking about had it not been for coronavirus. So we thought it would be great to have you come along and just kind of explain to us what it's all about from a truck driver's perspective, what's changed, what's going to be what's going to be different, what, what do they have to look out for. But kind of before we do that, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you do at the RHA? So yeah, as you, you said in your, your great intro there, um, I'm an area manager at the RHA. Um, primarily, my my role is to to support members uh, and, and indeed the wider industry actually to uh, to overcome the challenges that it, that it faces. And as you again said in your great intro, there uh, Brexit is uh, currently one of them. Well, I mean, I, I suppose it's pretty much all this country talked about for the last four years, and it was all kind of theoretical. Um, and and this certainly isn't a conversation about the merits of Brexit. This is a conversation about for drivers for the listeners of this podcast life will have been a bit different since the turn of the year so could you kind of talk us through some of the things that are different for drivers and operators today compared to last year yeah of course i mean we've we've all seen the news you know we've, we've seen the horror stories that have been happening in uh, dover and you know in the rest of kent and, and primarily i would say one of the biggest changes is the documentation changes so the fact we're, we're no longer a member of the European Union, you know, there are there are new documents that are needed and there are new documents that drivers need to carry. Uh, one of the most common issues that we, we are seeing is that maybe operators are aware, um, but that knowledge hasn't always been passed on to drivers. 
Uh, and of course, it is the drivers, you know, the, the ones that are taking the vehicle. And they're the ones that need to have that same knowledge that the, the operators have. Tom, surely goods have been travelling with paperwork in the past. Um, so we all know what's coming in and out. I know it's been free borders, but they've always carried what's on those goods. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, you, you would you would be correct, and 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 I have to say that obviously prior to the UK's membership of the EU, you know a lot of these documents were, were needed at that point. But well, the issue we have is the fact that a lot of the current workforce don't necessarily remember those times. Um, so so for for a lot of drivers that are going backwards and forwards, um, they've only known the UK being a member of the EU, you know, and and they're the people that won't necessarily remember those times and therefore won't know what's needed. So, yeah, you are right. But of course, there's additional documents now for the fact that we're not in the EU. So, um, so Tom, you, you um, over me, have the benefit of youth by, um, by, by, by a decade or two. And, and I, I actually was um, an international truck driver back in the early 90s. Uh, so I paid for stuff in French francs uh, and carried all sorts of bits of paper um, which would be uh, permits. We had customers, customs documentation. We had green cards. Has has all of this stuff come back? Yeah, the majority of it has. Yeah, you know, and, you, and you've got additional stuff like your, your safety and security declarations. They they've certainly tightened up those those rules on that as well. And and looking through, I've I've, I've seen a few things that certainly didn't exist back in the day. I'm seeing things like. Kent access permits. What's what's a Kent access permit? Okay, so now you now you are unraveling a uh, a subject there. I think we could probably do a podcast on on, it, on our own on that subject. So so one common misconception, which I think is worth pointing out, is that um, you don't need a Kent access permit if you are just delivering domestically in Kent. You only need it if you're going to be delivering onto the continent uh, via the tunnel or via the ferry. Um, and you're going through Kent to go into Europe, and you need to apply for that before you actually start the journey. Question, Tom, um, where I'm located, I've got Harwich and Felixstowe ports here. We don't have a Suffolk or Essex permit. Why is there a Kent permit compared to the other two? That is a very good question, Gary, actually, and, and, and one that I cannot with 100% certainty say I know the answer to. But what I will say is that it's obviously viewed that the majority of the goods that are going for the continent go through through Dover and indeed Kent. Um, and, I th- and I think that's obviously why it's, it, it started at that point, really. And what's what's the purpose of it? Surely if you're going to go and pick up a train or ferry in Kent, you're going to have to go through Kent. So so what's the purpose of the access permit in, into Kent? I, I think it's just another, um, should we say, shield, if you like, about making sure that people have got the right documents before they start the journey. Um, and, and try. I think the idea really is to try and cut down some of the waiting time. So rather than just having you know lots of lorries turning up to Kent, ready, to, you know, ready or as the case may be, not ready to go. Um, the the idea is they've got the permit, they've got the documents in place, and 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 that hopefully will shorten the waiting time within Kent when they get there. When you say Kent, I'm assuming the waiting time is at the port where there isn't actually much parking space or room to manoeuvre when we get there. That's yeah. That, that's the that's the that's the sort of primary problem. But um, but obviously, as you know, more and more vehicles start stacking up, it has knock on effect for the rest of the county. You know, residents and local traffic as well. Um, mm. And that's I think kind of the idea behind it to try and stop those those issues building up. You mm. know, kind of nip it in the bud really, essentially before they before they start. So so I was um, I was reading a lot in the news prior to the actual Brexit day that there was fears about 
miles and miles and miles of queues of trucks through Kent, you know, just stuck. Um, operation stack um, on the on the M20. So it, has this Kent access permit stopped that happening or have those queues happened? I think it's, well, we obviously saw the queues, I'm sure we all saw on the news uh, during the early days, you know, particularly sort of end of December, beginning of January. Um, you know, over the Christmas period, we all saw the drivers, you know, spending Christmas in their, in their cabs and, and that was obviously not nice to see. So I, th- I think there, w- there were some early teething problems um, and I, I think some of those are still ongoing, of course, but um, I think we are seeing a bit of an improvement you know, as we go forward, as people get used to the requirements. But I think what's worth mentioning is that there are also other sites now that act as kind of border documentation preparation facilities. So there's one at the Northfield Airfield um, and there's another one in Kent and there's several dotted around um, where drivers can go to make sure the documents are as they should be prior to actually starting their journey through Kent. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that actually helped and contributed to it, to it, should we say, improving. As a, but I use the word improvement uh, loosely, should we say? Yeah, I, I noticed we're in a. Am I right in saying a six-month transition period where the full controls aren't being implemented yet? Is that right? Uh, on one side, they're not. So, so basically, what we've said is that we the UK side is going to move to full controls from from July, but the EU side has been full controls from first of January. So, so we're moving in a kind of timeline where it starts with some documentation first of January, as we all know. Then Agri products are coming in in April, 1st of April, um, where Cyto and um, Cyto sanitary declaration are going to be needed. And then July, then it moves to full border control. So we're doing it in a, in a kind of staged process. Um, but on the other side, it doesn't have that same staging. It must be a nightmare for the hauliers or more importantly, the clients putting the goods on the vehicles to know what the standards are. Exactly, yeah. And, and it's something where there's there needs to be a real, should we say, awareness piece on it. Um, because obviously the more people that are unaware of what's going on, they're not necessarily going to do it right, and that's going to cause a problem further down the line. Um, you know, it, it's important that people are aware, but also like for the purpose of this podcast is that, you know, drivers are aware as well as, uh, you know, as well as the operators. But just to give you a bit of a, an information on the, on the actual timeline. So, um, so from the 1st of January, all GB exports will need customs decorations and safety and security decorations. The imports of all controlled goods will also require customs decorations and safety and security decorations. And all GB imports will need EU export declarations. So that was that was as of January. Um, we you then go into 1st of April, as I, as I said a bit earlier, agri products will become subject to new border inspections. Uh, and then 1st of July, it'll be the full new border and customs regulations coming to force uh, for both directions. There's lots to this. I've done a little bit of research being um, dealing with clients in Harwich. And they're talking about the delays of their traders coming in unaccompanied before they move off and vice versa when they're picking goods coming back. So from your point of view, I don't want to influence what you've got to say here because I know what my clients are saying. What are you finding across the um, the country? Are the delays being caused by? I think, to be honest, um, the, 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 the delays are, are for a number of reasons, to be quite honest with you. I think there's really too many to mention, but... Um, it could be any one of a number of reasons. They could have not have, like we talked about earlier, they can access permit. Um, they could not have filled out the correct documentation properly. Um, you know, there's, there's several reasons why there are delays, and any one of those could actually contribute to there being a delay. Um, but you know, I, I think a lot of it, it there is a people people have been aware of Brexit, you know, for a long time, like we said at the beginning, um, but have not necessarily been aware of what it actually entails. And because it entails so much. 
you only have to fall short on you know one of those areas to actually for the whole thing to fall down. I mean, one of the delays I've been aware of is um, where the trailer would come across on the ferry overnight. It would come into the docks. It'd be sitting there. They would normally the haulier would go in, collect the trailer. This is pre the first of January. Go and deliver the goods, get a, um, a collection, and come back. They can't get clearance on that trailer, and they can't actually pre-plan at the moment. So they're they're running very fine margins, as most hauliers do. Um, and I had a driver the other day get stuck on an overnight go and delivery to London because they couldn't get off the dock for five hours. Yeah, and we've seen some we've seen some things that which albeit might be anecdotal, but we've still seen some things where there, there are some horror shows in terms of delays, which which obviously doesn't help anybody, doesn't help the driver, doesn't help the company. Doesn't help where it's delivering it to. Um, you know, obviously has a knock-on effect. So I noticed in the news a couple of weeks ago, your CEO uh, Richard Burnett, he was talking about uh, freight movements being down sixty-eight percent for January, which might imply that the problems would have been worse had the freight movements been as high as they ordinarily would have been. Um, so I don't know if those movements are down because of COVID or they're down because of Brexit, or just a combination of the two? And might the problem have been worse had those freight movements not been down? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the um, you know the more, the more freight movements that there are, it, it, it leads to the potential to be more problems. You know, that, that's, that's kind of logic told you that. But um, I think realistically, the, the Brexit is a problem, you know, for, for the, the issues it's causing in terms of for, for, for drivers and for operators. But COVID is obviously also having, having an effect. So when you get the two together, it is a cocktail of, um, you know, of, of issues. I think that's, that's what we are seeing. But I also think it's worth saying that freight movements, you know, they are going to be down to a certain extent because there are, there are also going to be some people that um, choose not to, to do EU work any longer um, because they simply don't think it's viable. Um, and, and there will also be people that, haven't necessarily got the correct paperwork in place, so haven't been able to do those EU movements. You know that 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 is also factors that have got to be taken into account as well. Because mm. because my sense of logic would say that the, the things that are moving from one country to another historically probably still need to move going forward, and so it would seem to me that we just need to find a way of achieving that. Do you think those supply chains then would change and become more of a domestic supply chain than an international supply chain? I think that obviously um, it potentially could happen. And I, th- I think you mentioned before, Tony, when we were speaking about bottled water, hmm. uh, you know, and, and how you would you would take Buxton water to to France and then bring back Evian water for the UK. Exactly. And I, think that, and I know that was a personal story from you, but I think actually that was quite a good analogy, really. Um, you know, and, and I think that potentially could lead to more domestic work. Um, but I think also another area that's worth mentioning would be the events industry. Um, obviously with the COVID restrictions that are in place, uh, live touring work has not been able to, to go ahead as normal. And obviously that does, you know, make up a significant part of the UK industry, um, you know, and, and with not having any touring, you know, touring events, um, that's also had an effect on it as well, I think. You know, mm. maybe, maybe a lesser known sector of the industry from in people's minds, but still one that, that normally there is, there is there's a lot of movements associated with. Um, so, Tom, I, again, going back to when I was speaking to my clients and so on, one of the biggest issues is how much time they're losing when they're picking up goods to go back to um, Europe. So where they used to pull into, say, 
a client in Northampton and get a, a reload to go back. It's now taking three to four hours for that goods to be cleared and to be moved on. And they can't build that into their costings at the moment. Is this a common practice or is this normal or what, can you see it changing? I, th- I think we're obviously seeing, you know, several issues along those kind of lines. Um, and obviously the the need for new documentation and obviously the time that takes, that's, that's always going to have an impact. But obviously the hope is that as we move forward, that time is going to be significantly cut down because of the fact that hopefully we get used to the new processes enough to to reduce that time. But obviously, like I mean, you add essentially an extra job to anything, and it's always going to take longer, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's and when I say another job, I don't mean the job as in the haulage movement. I mean the job as in preparing the paperwork, making sure the documents are right. You know, when you when you start adding extra tasks like that, the whole thing is, is always going to take longer. And I, th- and I think that's just you know a, a factor of of the situation that we're in, to be honest. So, so it's a learning curve for the haulier or the client, the other end, getting their paperwork right and on the computer system in a timely manner. So it can get cleared from the because the goods can't leave that premises until they get a green light. I understand exactly. Yeah, and I think that's where um, again, hopefully, it will improve as we go along. Um, but but I think you know we're only sort of should we say not even two two four months through yet. Mm. Um, and although people have been known as coming in for a long time, which which we have, um, they haven't necessarily. There's a difference between knowing it's coming in and knowing how to deal with it. And I think that that's the vital difference that we're seeing. People haven't necessarily known how to deal with it, or even when they'll have to deal with it until relatively recently. And I think that is now having a knock-on effect as to what, what, what we're seeing happening. So Tom, we've talked about kind of some of the, some of the problems, some of the you know, some of them may be teething problems, some of them may just be kind of infrastructure problems that need to be resolved. But looking forward now, there's going to be some positives for us. Uh, and I know from talking to a lot of drivers over the last few years, some of the things that that, that they're perhaps talking about um, being better for the future. What 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 in your view are the things that could be positives coming down the line? Well, I think. I'm always loath to use the words positives or negatives, to be to be honest. But the word I'd probably use would be opportunities. So I, th- I think, with, like with anything, you know, when when anything changes, um, certainly as, as big a change as something like Brexit, naturally that there, there are going to be opportunities in areas. And I, and I think that there's several ones that we could talk about. But I, I certainly think there's several things like driver CPC, for example, where although we have um, stated the intention to, to carry on with driver CPC, and I think that's well documented. I think we, we could obviously look to try and maybe improve it, you know, for the better. Mm. Yeah, I think there was a, a lot of chatter. Um, so so the, the way CPC was introduced, we had this sort of natural five-year windows, um, and the last one being September 2019. Um, that's kind of dissipated over time as there's more of a spread of dates that people pass their test now. So I don't think we'll see those peaks. But as we were getting to that 2019 peak, there was people, drivers, asking us the question, well, now that we're going to Brexit, and it's in CPC's European law, it's the European Compulsory Training Directive, um, will we have to do CPC? And you've you've kind of already answered that question to say, well, yes, we are. We've adopted that European law. But I think if we are going to have CPC moving forward, and we are, then I, I think it could be a real opportunity to, to, to improve it and make it more uh, job specific, more relevant, potentially more practical. Um, and 
and add value to the driver. If he's going to have to do that training, which he is, um, add value to his to his day's work. Exactly, and I think I think you've just you, you know you've just really hit the nail on the head there, Tony. To be quite honest with you, because you know it, it's widely widely known that we will be adopting CPC, you know, driver CPC, and I think I think that's that's well known, well documented, um, and I also think it's also well documented the problems that are with CPC. Um, you know, speaking to operators like I do, and I'm sure you're exactly the same, even with drivers. You know, the idea behind CPC about the professionalism and the, and the training that the, for the drivers. I don't think anybody disagrees with the actual idea, to be quite honest with you, but it's the execution that people have an issue with, you know, mm. that, that I think. And I'll use the example of where someone can take the same module five times, um, you know, and, and you, you, one could argue, what are you actually learning from doing that? You know, yes, you could say something like driver's hours is, is important to a driver, which it is, um, but is doing that every single year consecutively for five years, or even in some cases, if they do all their CPC modules in one year, doing that five times in one year, is that a productive use of their time? Um, I think there'll be several people that would argue it's not. So I think things like that and how it's done maybe can be improved more than the actual, is it going to have to be done? Mm. Yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. Yeah. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was um, cabotage. So uh, cabotage is where a haulier from one European member state can drive to another with an outbound load. And before picking up a load to come back to his own home state, could do some freight movements in other parts of Europe. So uh, to give a straight example, when I was a driver, if I took a load into France, um, I could then pick up a back load to come back to the UK. But what I couldn't do was pick up a French load to be delivered in France. Um, and that those cabotage rules were relaxed some years ago, and it meant that all European hauliers could take anything anywhere in Europe. Uh, and in fact, you could have a haulier that could could move, you know, several movements around Europe before coming back home. Um, has that now changed then, Tom? And, and will, will the UK market be more protected from cabotage? I think that could also be another, we're talking about opportunities, that could be one. Yeah, I could. Um, you know, with, with the, um, should we say, de-introduction of cabotage, uh, if, if you like, um, there could be a potential for UK loads and domestic haulage to, to increase. Um, you know, obviously, again, we, we say about early days, it is early days, and, and, and the actual workings of it remain to be seen. But it, I think it certainly has a potential to be an opportunity for, for UK haulers, yeah. So where a vehicle comes in, say, from Germany, a load of car parts go to Nissan in um, Sunderland, they would get there pre-January, they could have a reload back from Newcastle to London before they pick up their genuine reload to go back to Germany, out of London, that journey though between Newcastle and London is now open to the UK hauliers again at more reasonable rates. Exactly, yeah. You know, I think it's something where, as opposed to, like you say, an EU haulier coming here with a load, doing work while they're here, and then taking a load back, that doing the work while they're here section is the part that's been taken out. So, but that that work obviously still needs to be done. Um, and Therefore, that could be a gap for UK hauliers to, to fill. And and hopefully it will help improve the running cost of the vehicles in the UK, because at the moment they're not unfair competing, in my mind, how it's being moved, because that vehicle is coming down from Newcastle, London, 
and they're happy to get a load on that and we can't compete. Now you've got the genuine loads coming about and the UK haulage should see the benefits across the board. Of course, yeah. And, and obviously, if, if someone is going to do that load as a journey they would have done anyway, they're going to accept doing it at a lower cost. You know, that's just, that just, that is obviously how it works. And as opposed to a local hauler that is doing that as a specific journey, they're going to charge more. So, so of course, previously they couldn't compete, but if that journey has to be done by a domestic haulier, um, then obviously it, you know, opens up a pool of opportunities to, uh, to haulers to, to be able to compete for that work more effectively. Um, one of the other things that drivers talk to me about, Tom, is driver's hours rules. Um, because as, as we all know, they're EU driver's hours rules, but as well as the EU driver's hours rules, there's British domestic regulations. And, and dr drivers often ask, now that we've left the EU, will we leave those rules behind and revert to something more simplistic and easier to understand? Or are we keeping those rules? I think at the moment, the, the intention is to keep them, to be honest. I mean, I think the government have kind of declared, if you like, that, that most of the EU directives will be staying, you know, and will be coming to to UK, uh, yeah, UK law. Um, obviously, there are certain drivers that prefer to run on domestic, you know, on analog books. Um, but I think something that we we may encounter as an issue with moving completely to UK is is the safety tachograph element, shall we say? You know, obviously, the data that is captured on the tachograph is um, important to agencies like DVSA to be able to. Um, record sufficiently what you know what, what drivers are doing and I, and I think that 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 is something that is I think that's quite a quite a big conversation and I, and I think obviously things like safety and um, then you start bringing things into like sleep conditions and and, and overworked drivers shall we dare to say um, you know you, you start bringing that into the conversation and I, and I think that's a that's a big debate right so uh, so rumors of the demise of eu drivers hours rules are, are greatly exaggerated then <laughs> i don't necessarily know if it, it, it will be something that we could we would, we would have a conversation about in the future um but i think kind of as we've highlighted for the rest of the episode um i think we've got some more pressing issues to deal with in the immediate future to be honest no well, i think that's fair and and um and what what would you like to see in the future as a you know, as, a, as an opportunity taken from Brexit? I think that, I mean, personally, obviously, from, from the industry, really, I, th I think that regardless of which side of the fence, you know, you sit on politically, um, everybody, you know, including us, wants to see a prosperous industry uh, and a prosperous country, you know, and, and I think that there will be, be negatives and there will be delays that we're, we're seeing. Um, but, but hopefully, as time goes on, the positives will 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 counteract that to some degree, um, and I think our only or our biggest hope is that we see a prosperous industry, and a, and a sustainable one as well. From my point of view, I, I believe you'll see more unaccompanied traders coming across into from Europe in because if it's not worth them losing the cabotage movements and so on, it's just easier to drop the trader off at the port, let it come across. A UK hoardy can pick it up and move it, and they're in control. I can see more work for the UK industry across the board from my point of view. Essentially, yeah. And I, and I think obviously there are going to be uh, changes, should we say, that come in. Um, and, and there are going to be things where uh, a lot of, should we say, different types of, of, of movements take place to what we're used to seeing. You know, of course, business is going to want to be as profitable and as, um, as efficient as it can be. You know, and, and, I, and naturally, as, as it goes through, business will find a way to, to be as profitable and as efficient as it can be. And, and, and yeah, you could see that. Yeah. And, and certainly with things like 
groupage loads, for example, um, a lot of the new documentation is is a, is a potential nightmare for it. You know, if, you, if you've got to provide documentation for each part of that groupage load, um, that that's a potential nightmare. You know, uh, Tom, sorry, for, uh, groupage load. You mean a, a mixed load from different sources? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, earlier you said we've only been doing it a short time, Tom. In seven weeks, there's a big learning curve and, and everything else. What do you see for the future as a positive? I think that hopefully we should see less delays, um, you know, like we are seeing. And but I think obviously we, we've got to wait. We've got to wait and see, you know, like we what we have said sort of a few times throughout the episode. Really, it is early days, um, and I think maybe if we did a mirror of this podcast in you know a few months' time, maybe um, I think we'd maybe see a different picture potentially, you know. And and I think that I can't go too positive. I will I will say as, as, as much as to disappoint you, but what I can say is that. As we get used to the new procedures, um, hopefully that will have a, a positive effect on, on things like delays and, and, and on companies being used to the procedures. Well, I'll tell you what, Tom, um, uh, you, you almost offered a follow-up in time to come. So so perhaps in six or 12 months, we we, we should perhaps revisit this and, and see how the landscape's changed at that point. What do you think? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's an ever-moving picture. Um, and I, I think that that picture certainly needs drawing more than once. OK, well, that's that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for coming along, Tom. Um, the um, you know, I can say this would have been the biggest story um, of the year so far, had it not been for, for COVID. But it's clearly something very important to talk about. So thank you so much for coming along and, um, and, and sharing with us. That's been great. Thank you. No, it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you ever so much for having me. So thank you very much for listening. Um, if you have enjoyed it, please do rate, review and subscribe. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. You've been listening to the Driver Hire podcast, and thank you very much. And as goodbye from myself, Gary Richards at the Colchester office. And from me, Tony Gosher from the Croydon and Sutton office. If you'd like to get in touch with us, Along with all the other driver hire offices, you can find us at driverhire.co.uk. Thank you very much for your time. Bye-bye.